All right, well, welcome back. We are in a series uh, called Practices of the People of God. And over the last five weeks, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2. And it is, Acts chapter 2, what we've been looking at is really people responding to, one, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but two, responding to this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as God breathes life, Matthew, you stole my text. I was actually going to use Ezekiel. As like this uh, valley of dry bones, as people who were dead in their sins and trespasses, dead in their hopes, and dead in a vision for what being human could be and living in God's world could look like, the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes new life and creates a new people. And it's been this absolutely beautiful response to both Jesus and the Spirit coming in, breaking into the earth in a unique way. And so um, we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're, we're talking today about what we see in this new community is this beautiful display of generosity. As the Holy Spirit moves in, as people start learning to live together, they're living together in a really unique way, in a way that's like generous. Now, I know like don't start twitching because I'm not just going to be talking about money, right? I am talking about money. But I know every time we like come in and people at church start talking about money, people are like get nervous. They say the most sensitive part of a person's body is their wallet, you know? And so you touch that and people are like, ah. Oh. No, but what we're seeing is not just people being um, uh, generous with their money. We're seeing people look at the world in a brand new way. It, with this new, fresh imagination for what being human actually means, and it's actually beautiful. But before we get there, I want to start um, with a, a, a little story. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you've, like, absolutely just missed the point? Like, missed the point. Like, maybe you, uh, maybe you went on a date night and got into an argument with your spouse, like, during that date night, and this thing that was, like, supposed to be this beautiful time of connection, like, turned to be this, like, moments of what Tara and I call intense fellowship, right, where you're just, now you're just, like, missing each other, and you bring up something that's hard, or uh, maybe it's you go, you're going on a vacation to rest, and you, you fill it with so much activity and planning that rest doesn't happen, or you're driving and like your kids are acting up and you turn around and you literally like yell like, we're going on vacation, you're going to have fun, you know, as you're like just the miserable wretch on vacation. Or um, maybe uh, you try to go and do something nice for a friend and they respond in a way that's like not gracious enough and so it like tweaks you a little bit and you just miss the point of whatever that thing is. I remember there was a time when uh, I was wanting to give Moses this like, like coming of age experience. And I don't know why I thought this, but I thought, you know what every boy needs to do is go fishing, right? And now listen, I am not a fisherman. Like I am not an angler. I don't even like, I, I've never even touched a worm before, but I thought this was gonna be a moment that Moses and I were gonna have this like huge coming of age moment. He's like six years old, go to Walmart. I spend way too much money on like cheap fishing gear. And I don't know why I thought I had to buy like everything, you know? So I had like tackle box, I have fresh worms, I had, you know, uh, hooks and all of this stuff. And we get to this pond that's in the middle of a park that I 
I had read was freshly stocked, which I was stoked about, because again, not an angler. And I go out and we hook everything up, we tie the hook, we put the, the worm on, and we have this beautiful moment where I put uh, the fishing rod in Moses' hands and I go to cast, and all of a sudden I cast, and it was like an act of God, because it was like the most beautiful cast ever. Like it was like like flying out in the air and then the the bait hits the lake and just goes right that perfect like plop sound you're doing I'm feeling like the best dad in the world in the moment and I kid you not the second that bait hit the lake a fish jumped on that hook and we reeled it in and we caught a fish it's amazing right it's this moment we take it off I throw it back in we do it again and Moses looks up at me with his big bright blue eyes and he says what every six-year-old says in that moment can you guys guess what it is daddy do it again right do it again I'm like I got this I am like I could have my own tv show like doing this fishing thing that's how good I am at fishing and so we grab it again and I do the same thing we put it out the same cast and go and it's like plop it goes down the thing and nothing. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And I kid you not, we're waiting for like 20 minutes at this time. Moses is like getting antsy. He like just wants to go play. And I'm like, I'm going to catch a fish. So like I grab the pole out of his hands and I start cruising around the lake, like determined to catch a fish. And I, I, there's about an hour that goes by that I'm like standing out on logs. I'm going underneath trees. I'm like casting sideways in all these places. I'm going to catch my son a fish. He told me to do it again. And after about an hour of this, I look over and Moses is literally like sitting in the dirt with his legs crossed his hands down and he's like sitting there and he's just like pouting and I'm like I go over and I was like Moses I promise I'm gonna catch you a fish son don't worry like like I promise you I'll catch you a fish and he looks up at me and he says this he says daddy I don't care about a fish I just wanted to be with you and it was just this moment where I was like I missed the point but I missed the point. That was supposed to be a father-son moment, and I got so wrapped up in the tasks of catching a fish that I forgot the purpose of that fishing trip in the first place, was to be with my son. And listen, as we talk about the practices of the people of God, I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the tasks of reading our Bible and the tasks of prayer and the tasks of being a missional people that we miss the point of it all and that's to be reconciled to the Father through the Son, Jesus. That God, more than anything, wants you. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. He has given us these practices not so that we have something to do but because in these practices we actually meet the God who made us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And, and I love this moment when Jesus, everybody's arguing about, about Jesus and how he handled the Sabbath, right? They had all these strict rules for the Sabbath. And Jesus says this, he says, listen, Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And I just want to start by saying, practices are made for man. Man wasn't made for practices. Like man didn't get, like God didn't create um, man so that they could, he could go and do all of these things. These practices actually help us to be the humans that Jesus called us to be. They teach us, they form us how to be with God. And um, I know what it's like to be distracted by tasks. I know what it's like for the freshness of faith to be lost, that I miss the point of the whole thing, and I know what it's like 
to be someone who's striving to be the person that I think God wants me to be instead of being with the God who made me. See, that's what God created us for, relationship. That's why when God created all things, he says, good, it's good, it's good. But then he created man and he said, it's very good because God at the very heart of all of his creative activity desires to share himself with us. That's the point of his creation is that's who God is. He's a generous God who shares himself with his people. Henry Nouwen said this. He said, nothing conflicts with the love of Christ more than the service to Christ. Sometimes we can get caught up in all the to-dos and miss the purpose of it. And so as we look at this text in Acts 2, I want us to see not just another to-do to add to our list, but I want to see it, uh, I hope that we could see it as a fresh invitation to see a new way to live with God. A fresh invitation to enter into this new relationship with the living God who loves us and made a way for us to experience true and abundant life. And here's what we're going to look at. Luke is giving us a fresh snapshot of the kingdom of God breaking into human history. That's what we see when we read Acts 2, this text. The kingdom of God is breaking into human history in a fresh way. And, and Jesus' followers, they're just simply responding to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all they're doing. This event has taken place. It's happened. Jesus died and he rose again, and Jesus' followers are responding to this event in time, and they're responding to a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they're responding to a new vision for what it means to be human with God in his world. And the good news about Jesus was fresh and alive, and it created something tangible. It created this new community, this beautiful um, God's new humanity, which is this uh, uh, a devoted, loving, generous, visible community for the world. Now, I want to remind us something. Before we look at this text and talk about generosity, I want to just remind us of the event that took place. Here's what happened. Good news. This is what Jesus came preaching. Good news. The end time power and love of God to restore the whole world and all of human life from sin and evil is breaking into the middle of history in Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Do you reflect on that? As if this happened yesterday. Say yesterday you woke up and you heard this good news that Jesus resurrected from the dead. How would you respond? Good news. The end time power of God is here, right? Jesus was dead and now he's alive and he's breaking into human history to deal with the condition of sin on the inside and deal with the condition of evil on the outside. The oppression is going on. Good news. A new creation community is born. And what we see is a devoted, loving, generous, visible community because of this good news. And here's what I want us to think about before we get into this text is there is three shifts for this new creation community. Three things happened when that good in time power of God broke into the world. There was three shifts that happened into the, the, the people. It says, and this is what I, how I said it. The gospel fundamentally changes. Here's what happened to the people. What their identity was rooted in. What their security is built on and what future they were moving towards. 
So Jesus lived, died, resurrected. The Holy Spirit comes breaking in and these three shifts happen in these individuals. Their identity changes, their security changes, and the future that they're moving towards changes. Now, I wanna take a moment just discussing these three things because one is these people's identity was first and foremost rooted in the love of God. Right, what they looked at the, 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 the son that was sent by God to sacrifice his very life for the sins of the world, right, was this radical display of the generous love of God, willing to give the very best of heaven for the very worst of earth. Like, God was loving in his sending of his son, so their identity changed, their security changed. God's power and presence and sovereignty and lordship was now ruling over all things. And their future they were moving towards was not their own future of their desires and their wishes, but this new future that God set before them. What is God doing in the world? He's renewing and restoring all things in creation and created this new future. And so I want you to turn to someone next to you and I want, to talk to, I want you guys to talk about these three things. One is where have you seen the biggest change or shift in your life, in your identity, your security, or your future? And two, where would you like to grow? In this next year, where would you like to see the Holy Spirit come in and, and grow or shift in your life your understanding of one of those things. So take two minutes, turn to a few people next to you and talk about where you found the most growth in one of those three things and where you would like to grow. Here's why this conversation is important. Because until the gospel touches these aspects of our lives, we'll never be able to be the loving, generous, visible community that God calls us to be. Like, that's what the gospel comes in. The good news about God's end-time power breaking into our own lives is good news about how our identity could be rooted in something more stable, more secure than the identities that the world offers. Something more stable and more secure, an unshakable kingdom, something that's more secure than the security that our world offers, right? We live in a, a world right now that feels very insecure with gun violence at a stupid, ridiculous, all-time high. Like, it's silly how insecure our culture is just sending our kids to school or walking down the street. And especially in what future we are moving towards. Unless we become a people that are moving towards the future that God is creating through his church, it's gonna be really hard to be a devoted, generous, loving, visible community in the world. And so let's take a look at this. With these three things in mind, look how radically uh, these people were changed in their identity, their security, and their future as, as uh, the good news of the kingdom of God is broken through. Let's read this text together. And, and I'm going to go through, we're just going to go through a, a couple verses at a time. One, uh, the new creation community, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and I love this because Luke is giving us these like four like anchor points or marks of the way of Jesus. Like people who follow Jesus, this is what marked them as, as Jesus followers, as little disciples of, of Christ, is they were people who were absolutely devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
And, and here's, what here, here's what this means. They were devoted to uh, the story that God was telling through Scripture. Because if they weren't, if they weren't devoted to the apostles' teaching, they would have been formed by the stories of the world. Right? Knowing that without being devoted to the apostles' teachings, they would fall, they would slip back into a false story. Whether that was their old religious ways or their secular, like uh, pluralistic stories that were going on in that world. Two, they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to this new way to live with one another, this new way to relate, where there's not just this like, um, uh, like, uh, superficial relationship they have, but they saw each other as family. There was a sense of responsibility that they had for one another, and they were devoted to being the family of God together. I love one commentator said they were, uh, it, it was more than friendship, but it wasn't less than that. Right? They, weren't, they, they weren't just people who had these occasional relationships. They had these deep relational friendships, but they had this deep sense of responsibility for one another that was absolutely beautiful and breathtaking, this new family to live in. And then they were devoted to breaking of bread, which means that they were devoted to living lives that were centered on Jesus, on his death and resurrection. Jesus became the hero of their story. That, that the center of all they were as the people of God was rooted in Jesus being the hero, that Jesus was the one that filled up what was lacking in the world, and that Jesus was the one that could rescue and redeem and set a people free. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They were a people, and I love how Tom, the, the, uh, a guy named N.T. Wright says it. He says they were a people of heaven and earth. They were a heaven and earth people. They really believed that because of what Jesus Christ had done, there's this new connection between heaven and earth, right? Through prayer, that we have a connection to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And there's this new reality that when we enter into prayer, we are like creating a portal between heaven and earth, and we're drawing heaven a little bit closer to earth. It's this beautiful new way of Jesus, the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, a new family to live in, a breaking of bread, lives centered on Jesus, and a people of prayer who really believed that heaven could meet earth, the new citizens of a completely different reality. And then look at verse 43. It says this, and they were in awe at how the spirit was working through the apostles to heal and transform life. And I love that. There was this awe and wonder at this community because they're watching the apostles actually live in this new kingdom power, right? Where they were able to go around and see people be healed from sickness and demons cast out and set free from the things that oppressed them. This was a sign to them that the kingdom of God had broken through, but it wasn't just a sign that the kingdom of God was here. It was also a new vision for how they could possibly live their lives. They watched the apostles walk around and heal, and they said, we could be a people who, like Jesus, walked around and brought healing into the world. Wherever we go, wherever we see brokenness and wherever we see need and wherever we see pain and wherever we see suffering, we could actually be a people that live in this new kingdom power that brings God's kingdom healing into the world actually. Whether it be a neighbor, 
who's going through a divorce or a friend who is struggling in, with their finances or wh- whether it's someone that's going through sickness or mental health issues, we actually are a people now, they were a people that looked at the apostles live their life and say, we could be a people that could bring healing into their lives. It's this beautiful new picture of what our lives could look like if we walk in and live in the Spirit's power, bringing the Spirit's power to bear into people's brokenness. And then here we get to our topic here in verses 44 through 47. It says this, all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and are together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is a breathtaking vision of a new way to live with one another. Like, let's be honest. How many of you actually get annoyed when someone calls you instead of just texting first? Right, like we live in a culture where it's like an affront for someone to like, how dare they like call me and I have to pick up and they hear my voice? Like, why don't they text me before, you know, before they call? At least give me a heads up. Like we live in a strange, isolated, me-centric, like where, where we are put out over every little thing world. And here we see this display of people being together and having everything in common. Remember, There's not a list of rules they're trying to follow. They just knew that Jesus came preaching, love God and love your neighbor. They saw the way that Jesus lived. They see this new kingdom power falling into the earth by the spirit. And their first response is to be together and live generously where they share everything. They have everything in common. This beautiful, unique life together as a new single family emerges. The relationship to each other changed together three times in this text. They were together. They were together. They were together. And then not only did their relationship to each other change, but look at their relationship with their stuff, right? The the way they viewed their stuff, their resources, their money, their time, their talents, their treasures, it changed. It shifted. I know for us... How do we relate to our stuff, right? Our Netflix nights, our bank accounts, our calendars. I'll give you a little vulnerable story. One time I was uh, um, working and uh, had a long day at work, and all day I was thinking about this chicken pot pie that was in my fridge. Like, I know this sounds stupid, but this really happened. I'll show you how much of a sinner I actually am. And I was so excited. Like all day I was thinking about, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pound this chicken pot pie. Like I cannot wait to eat this chicken pot pie. And I kid you not, I walk in my front door and I see my daughter, Julia, sitting at the table eating what? My chicken pot pie. I'm embarrassed to say I flew off the handle. I was like yelling. I was like, how dare you? I like grounded her for seven weeks and then had to like, like come back from that. I just, I had this like connection to my stuff where there was nothing generous in my heart. That chicken pot pie was mine and nobody was going to take it from me. But it was just a moment where I was just like, man, what is wrong with you? It's just a chicken pot pie. 
It's just stuff. It's, it, you know, like it's, it's not mine, it's ours. It's this idea that everything changed. The relationships to stuff changed. They were together and had all things in common. They sold their property. Now I want you to think about this in first century Jewish culture, which this is what it was written to. They sold their property. Do you know what the Old Testament promises of God were, the inheritance of God? It was land. Here was the very thing that God promised them. The only thing they had left from their heyday as God's people was probably their land. And it was the thing that they sold so that anybody among them had, didn't have a need. This is a ridiculously beautiful picture of people being willing to change the way they relate to their stuff. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need among them. Why? I want you to think about that. What they're responding to is everything they saw and experienced in Jesus Christ was God's generosity. Again, they're responding to God in Christ displaying a radical expression of generosity. He shared the highest of heaven for the lowest of earth. He shared all that he had so that we can share in Christ. He gave all that he had of heaven so that we could even share in Christ's glory, so that we could share in Christ's inheritance, so that we could share in everything that God had of himself. God held nothing back from himself so that we could have and experience his generosity. And as the people of God began to think about what Jesus Christ had done on a cross, their natural response was to say, generosity is the only response to that type of God. And so they sold their stuff and they gave it to those who were in need. The good news of the gospel is about the generosity of God. It's not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's about God restoring us to a place where we could actually experience his generosity on a daily basis in tangible ways through a community of faith. It's about the sharing of his divine spirit. It's about the sharing of his divine promises. It's about the sharing of his divine inheritance. It's about sharing in eternal life together. A new creation community where all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I want to talk just a moment about money. Because that's really how we experience our stuff, right? We live in a, in a culture where we exchange uh, services and goods through money, right? If I want something, I have to go work for it, earn money, and then I pay for it. And the Bible says all kinds of things about money. And so I, wa I wanna give us a few warnings about some of the things that the Bible says about money. And then I wanna give us a few uh, practical things that can help us cultivate a heart of generosity in a greedy world. Okay, so here's, here's a couple warnings about money. Um, one of the things that uh, the, the Bible talks about is how that the things, uh, that things tend to, the things that can, tend to keep us from God, money amplifies those things. It just amplifies those things. Jesus has an encounter with a rich young ruler, right? Where he comes up and he's like 
literally like trying to like swagger his way into Jesus's good gracious. And he's like, look at me, look how good I am. And Jesus is, he's like, what, what must one do to enter the, you know, eternal life? And Jesus is like, you know, you tell me, you're, you're the guy with all the swagger right now, you know, what's going on? And he starts lifting off some things. He starts telling all the laws and he's like, yeah, that's great. You're doing a good job. Like, keep it up, keep going. He's like, oh, by the way, wait, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the dude's like, oh, crap. That's harder than I thought, right? Because what that exposed is, is his wealth, his money really amplified what was lacking in him. And that was a generous heart. He, he had not gotten the kingdom of heaven. He had, his head was filled with all the right laws, but his heart was bankrupt from generosity. He didn't really understand the kingdom of God in that moment. And so warnings about money is, is money tends to... Uh, uh, become an idol. We have a tendency to look to money to give us what only Jesus can give us, security and power. Money can become this form of idolatry. It can become this form of pride. It has a tendency to make us think we have earned our place in the world and we become hard-hearted towards the poor. Have you ever driven by a homeless person and had the thought like, why don't they just get a job? I work for my money every day. I've had that thought, right? See a guy panhandling? Like, if he's out there doing that, why can't he flip burgers at McDonald's? Right? We become hard-hearted where we think like, oh, we got a job. We make our money. We deserve it. And we slip into entitlement. Or money can, can make us apathetic. It produces apathy in us. It lulls us to sleep as we sink into the comforts money provides us. Right? I can Netflix, Hulu, and Apple TV all in one day because I have enough money to play for each one of those subscriptions. It can just lull us into apathy. And so there's, there's strong warnings about money. And so one of the ways, when we say the practice of the people of God, generosity is one of our responses to, to the generous God, the way God has already been generous to us. But generosity is also subversive activity that forms us to have the heart of Christ. And so if we're not careful, we can slip into idolatry or pride or apathy if we don't learn how to cultivate a heart of generosity. It's something we have to be attentive to as the people of God, right? We will um, forget what this whole thing is about, right? The beginning of the story, right? We'll miss the point of the whole thing, and that's for us to enter into the generosity of God. And so I want to give us a couple of things as we finish our time about what cultivates a heart of generosity. And we put together some resources. We will send these resources to you um, via email that help you reflect on this. But there's four things that I think really help cultivate a heart of uh, generosity in us. And uh, the first two are gratitude and groaning. As we spend our days, we wake up every day, every single one of us into the grace of God. We take a breath, we live a life, right? We probably walk to the fridge and open up food. We turn on water, put on clothes. We breathe air. We see the sun, we feel the sun on our face. We sit down and have the luxury of scheduling out our day and time. Every single one of us wake up into the generosity of God. Over and over and over again, the Bible commands us to be thankful. 
to rejoice for what is good. And so one of the practices of cultivating a heart of generosity is simply just being reminded of what you're thankful for. What do you have? Every day we can wake up into the grace of God and the generosity of God. What is it? Even right now, you could probably sit through and just a Rolodex of things to be thankful for. What are you grateful for right now? Who are you grateful for? Right? And then the second thing to that is also groaning. Where do you see hurt and pain and brokenness in the world? See, one of the things that this new creation community was doing is they were watching the apostles by the power of the spirit enter into people's brokenness and need and bring healing and life. See, cultivating a heart of generosity means stop to see where brokenness exists around you. Where is your neighborhood in need? Where are there relationships where there's brokenness there? Where is your heart groaning right now that you actually have resources that you can put towards, that you could help someone else that's in need? It's this tension of gratitude and groaning that is beautiful. And then finally, the last two is creation and contentment. One of the things that, uh, that we learn from the story of God is that God created us to be contributors, to be co-creators with him, not just consumers. Like we have this creation mandate where God had made us to be fruitful and multiply, to look at the resources that have been provided into our lives and make something good of the world with them. Where we actually get to use our resources to build and create beauty and invite others to share in that beauty instead of just being consumers who take in. Creation mandate, we are, we are made to make something of this world. And then finally, contentment. Learning contentment. And here's the one question that I wanna leave us with. Where in your life could you go without? And we have so much stuff and not getting sucked into the false hope of more, right? Subversive activity, right? Being formed into the image of Christ means sometimes we go without things that we could have, good things that we could have, so that someone else could have something that they can't have. Right? This subversive activity where we learn how to be content with less so that everybody can experience a sense, like this community, there's no one among them that had need. Could you imagine like what that could look like here? This is, and, and I'm not talking about like socialism, right? Where like some people can't be rich and some people can't be poor. But what I'm talking about is really living in such a way where nobody has any need. And here's the thing. I know that there's people in our life right now, Tara and I, who have gone with less so that we could have more. People have come in like we've, this has been one time in our lives in, in a long time where we actually have need. Like we have a family who brings us food every week that if they didn't do that, we wouldn't make it. We, we would go into debt and our family would not be able to enjoy just simple pleasures of, of life. When we got sick, we had people dropping off money at our door because I was out of work for weeks. They, I knew people who had to go without something so that we didn't have to go without something. 
It's this absolutely beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God, this new creation community could look like when we're a people who actually understand what gratitude and groaning feels like and what creation and contentment looks like as we seek to be a people who are filled by the spirit for the good of others so that we can make much of the world that's there. I'm gonna read one passage before we take communion. And it's in Philippians It says, therefore, church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfishness, ambition, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's the call of this community, is that when we learn the generosity of God and respond to the generosity of God, we actually become a community of love, generosity, and and we become a visible community. The outside world looks in and says, that's beautiful, I want some of that. We're gonna take time and move towards the table. Matt, you can come up and um, we're gonna sing some songs. But every week when we take communion, what we're reminded of is the generosity of God. What we're reminded of is that God gave his son because he loved the world, because he loved you, because he loved me that God held nothing good back from his creation. As as wicked and corrupt as creation is, and we see it all the time, God held nothing good back from it, but made a way that creation can find life once again. That creation, that, that all of us could enter into the generosity of God. And so every week we we take bread and we're reminded of the gift of Jesus for breaking his body for us. And we, we, we drink the wine and we're reminded of the righteousness that's been given to us by faith through grace, by grace through faith. It's this generosity of God that has been lavishly poured out on us that we eat the, sus, the, the, the sustenance and we drink of the joy of Christ. And so would you come and would you take, we are going to uh, um, have you come and take the elements, bring them back to your seat. Don't take them yet because we're going to take them together as one family. And so come to the table.